You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Over the last little while, we've been talking about multiplication, mission, nations, you know, what God's called us to together, to be a people who advance the kingdom. But the starting place for all of that, the starting place for mission, the starting place for multiplication, for growth, is having a revelation of Jesus the King. To be able to sing of the goodness of God, the starting place is to see him. To have a revelation of who he is. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, I saw the Lord, I saw the king seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. I don't want to preach on the train of his robe this morning, but just think about this. That it was just literally the edge of his garment fills the temple with glory. He's so glorious that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he said, even just the train, even just the hem of his garment fills the temple with glory. The kingdom or the rule and reign of Jesus exists because there's a king. We talk a lot about the kingdom as a church, that we're a kingdom people, that we advance the kingdom, but the kingdom only exists because there is a king. There's no kingdom without a king. So if we're going to be a people who grow and who mature and become more like him, who multiply, who release the kingdom, then we have to have a revelation of Jesus the king. It's not about having a revelation of the church. It's not about having a revelation of the pastor or a revelation of all the other things. It's about having a revelation of Jesus, the king, because only when we see the king that we can actually outwork the kingdom. Louise did such an amazing job uh, last week sharing from that place of a revelation of Jesus, the king. And in the place of the wrestle, in the place of the real challenges and trials of life, That's where the king wants to come in. I want to encourage you this morning, would you open up your hearts, would you open your life and allow the king to come in? See, once we've had a revelation of Jesus the king, we have to do something with that. Seeing Jesus demands a response. When we've seen him, you're never going to be the same. When you've seen him, you, 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 will, you can't stay the same. But the challenge for us is to bring every area of our lives, our thinking, our actions, under his lordship or under his kingship. When we've seen him, we can't stay the same. But there's this challenge that when we see him, it demands a response. And the response is this, to bring every area of my life, every area of my thinking, every area of my identity under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. The king asks Isaiah this question after he's seen him. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I love Deej's encouragement that you've been given a gift to give to somebody else. If you're following Jesus this morning, you have been given a gift and you've been given a command to go make disciples, to go reach out, to go share the love of Jesus, to go take what he's given you, and even if you've only been following him for one week, it starts now. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? There is a response required to a revelation of Jesus the King. And we can't have a revelation of Jesus the King, of his glory, of his majesty, and stay the same. I think a lot of the problem in the the church, the Western church today, that we have a lot of churchgoers who have never had a revelation of Jesus the King. 
We have a lot of people who come and sit in chairs or in, you know, the, the saying is in pews, but we don't have pews. We have black plastic chairs. And, you know, we give lip service to the church things, to the religious order. But we've never had a revelation of Jesus the King and his glory and his majesty that undoes us, that cuts us to the heart where we say, I, uh, woe is me, I'm a man of uncleanness, I can't stay in this place anymore. Oh Lord, I need you. I often wake up in the night thinking, oh Jesus, this, uh, this area, I bring it under your kingship again. Oh, Lord, yeah, like, and he reminds us. I don't know, for you, it might be during the day. For me, it's in the nights when everything's quiet and still and we don't have distractions. And I wake up and go, oh, there's another thing. God, I'll just bring it under your kingship again. We know that from the moment of submitting to Jesus as king, as Lord of our lives, that we're saved. That moment that you say, actually, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. That's when salvation comes. That's the salvation Moment in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says this Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. There is a transactional moment of the old passing away and the new coming. In Ephesians 2, verse 5 to 10, it says this Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him. And, uh, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved through faith alone, and positionally, we are seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Remember last week, we read this in Hebrews 1 verse 3. If, if you were here last week, it says, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about that. The exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification or sacrifice for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We are in Christ, positionally, for that point of salvation, saying, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to follow you. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because of his kingship, we've been given authority. And can I suggest today that if you're not seeing the manifestation of his authority in your life or through your life, you're probably not submitting to his kingship. Just let that one sink in for a minute. Because of his righteousness and his sacrifice, we are eternally secure. But until we graduate into eternity, we're living in these bodies of flesh. So we know from the moment of making a decision of following Jesus, of making him Lord of our lives, from that point, we're seated with him in heavenly places. We get baptized in water because it's a symbol and it's a, there's, a, there's a spiritual reality of the old being buried, dying, and rising a new creation, as 2 Corinthians says. But we're in this in-between. When we graduate into eternity, we're there with him in glory. There is no sin. There is no, there is no brokenness. There is no sickness. But right now, even though we know we're, that's where we're going to be and that's where we are spiritually, we're still in bodies of flesh. Yeah. 
And the Lord tells us to discipline the flesh and be transformed into his image. Romans 8 verse 13 and 14 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's some people this morning, you need to put to death some things in your life. Not even just discipline, kill some things off. There's some stuff that you're doing. There's some things that you're giving your time to that you just need to actually put to death. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now stay with me, because I'm getting to lordship and kingship. But there's this process of putting to death the deeds of the flesh, disciplining ourselves, being renewed, of transformation in response to seeing the king. When we decide, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. From then, salvation comes. We're seated with him in heavenly places. And then there's this outworking of salvation, this process of becoming more like him. That process is called sanctification. The theological word is sanctification. Literally, it means this, setting apart our lives for God's special use. It's the definition of sanctification, to be set apart for God's special use, to, to set apart our lives. And here's the challenge. What area of your life is not set apart for God's use? Now, see, spiritually, all of our, all of our lives, because of Jesus, we're set apart for his use. But practically, function, functionally, we withhold. There's things that we hold back. We go, oh, God, you can use that, but not this. God, I'll worship you on a Sunday, but I'm going to do what I want to do on Monday. God, you can use my, my car, but not my home. You can use my hands, but I'm going to keep back part of my heart. Setting apart our lives for God's special use. In, in Leviticus 20, verse 7 to 8, it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, or who sets you apart for my holy use. What I'm talking about this morning is now this part of, is this part of we're being set apart, being sanctified to become more like Christ. When we talk about kingship and bringing areas of our life under his authority and his kingship, it is this part between the now and the not yet. This part of saying, I want to set apart my life for holy use. I want, to, I want every area of my heart, every area of my life to be open for you to use. Now God is God. He can, he can, <laughs> he can do what he wants. But he chooses to give us free will. He chooses to partner with us. He, he, he doesn't just come in and go, I'm just taking over all your stuff. I mean, he's king and he deserves everything. But he actually still chooses to partner with us. So we have a choice in the process of saying, God, I open my heart to you. Lord, would you come in? Lord, would you be king of this area? Lord, will you be king of my life? So when we've seen the king... 
We've had a revelation of King Jesus. What does it look like to submit to his lordship? What does it look like to bring those areas of our lives under his authority and his rule? In Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, we sort of come into the the picture or the story of the early church. Jesus has come. He's died. He's been resurrected. He's gone back into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's been poured out. They have Pentecost. Uh, There's signs and wonders. There's fire that's come. And then we have this, this, this snippet or the snapshot of the church. And it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. As a church, we believe the book of Acts is not just descriptive. It's not just describing what happened in the early church. It's actually laying down a pattern for us. It's prescriptive. It's saying, this is the way to do church. This is the way to follow Jesus. I mean, the whole Bible lays down a pattern for us. But some people would say that the book of Acts is just a story of the early church. The whole Bible is God's pattern for how we should live, how we should fellowship, how we should do church together, how we should see the kingdom advance. In the book of Acts, they were committed to growth. They had seen the Lord. They'd been marked by his presence, and they wanted to live like him, and they wanted to become like him. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. They devoted themselves to the things that caused them to grow and to mature, to become more like Christ. Their, like, their sole focus was to become like Jesus and to show Jesus to other people. That's why they existed. Why do you exist, friend? What are you here for? Because if you can't answer that question, you'll always float around. You might come to church, you might be a little bit in the kingdom and a little bit in the world, and you might do a bit of this because that feels good and a bit of this because that feels good. And when, when being you know, a little bit in the world starts to feel bad, then you come back to church because you feel bad and it makes you feel better. What do you exist for? What's the point? To know him. To become like him intimate relationship with the King of Kings and and the Lord of Lords. And then there's a mission to show other people who he is. When you get that, everything else finds its order. Everything else finds its place. They devoted themselves to the things that caused them to grow. James 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word, talking about the Bible, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I comment on this scripture often because we like to blame the devil for everything. But it actually says, when you hear the word and don't do it, you deceive yourself. It's not the devil. It's you. That's that's real uplifting this morning, isn't it? (laughs) But it's true. If you hear truth and you don't do it, you bring yourself into deception. 
That's a scary thought. Growth, maturity, becoming more like Christ is more than just Sunday gatherings. Him being king is more than just showing up every now and then on a Sunday, singing some songs and getting our Jesus hit. Following Jesus doesn't, can I say this? Honestly, doesn't happen in only an hour and a half on a Sunday. This is good. These gatherings are, are, are good. I, I believe in it. I think it's great because we, we, all the one another's happen. We encourage one another. We, we sharpen. Iron sharpens iron. We, we worship Jesus. There's something about like worship when we're together that and we can worship at home. We should worship all the time. But when we together and we lift each other up and there's just a transaction that takes place. But this isn't it. If this is it, you're missing out on the best parts. You're missing out on what we're actually called to. If we're going to grow and have impact and be sanctified, become like Jesus, set apart, it has to be more than once a week. It has to be every day. My relationship with the creator of the universe can't be Sunday to Sunday, and neither can yours. It's every day. It's every day. All the time, communing with him, talking to him, being with him, worshiping him, seeing him, seeing an aspect of who he is that I haven't seen before and going, oh my gosh, I'm undone again. And then because we see him seeing my life and going, oh, this area needs to come under your rule and your authority, your kingship, because I've been just living for myself and I haven't seen that. But, oh, Lord, thank you for showing me because it's, you know, it's, it's as I'm driving down the freeway and somebody cuts me off and I, you know, I, I flick back to, I swear at them and give them the finger and yeah, don't, you guys do it too, I know. And then I go, oh, man, God, thank you for showing me. Because I need to bring that area under your rulership. Your anger issue or your impatience or your lack of care or your selfishness or, you know, whatever it is, when God shows you, and it's in walking with him that he shows us, and he's, he's faithful because he wants us to become more like him. It's about laying everything else down for the sake of our king. It's discipleship. It's being real. It's about being on mission together. It's about bringing every area of our lives, every thought, every, every decision, all of our actions under his rule and his reign, under his kingship. Do you submit your thought life to his kingship? Because he knows what you're thinking anyways. To be renewed in your mind. The Bible actually says take every thought captive. So that implies that there's going to be thoughts that you need to take captive. Even as a Christian, like surely not. No, no, I'm saved. I'm in Christ, therefore I never have a bad thought ever again. That's a lie because the Bible says that you'll have to take thoughts captive. So when the thought comes, you go, no, that's not from Jesus. I take you captive in Jesus' name. There's a transformation that takes place. Here's the thing. He's still king whether we submit to him or not. But will you let the king, his rulership and authority into that area of your life, into your thinking, into your struggle? Can I say this morning, even into your pain? He's still king. 
Whether you open the doors of your heart or you keep them closed. He's still king, whether you bring that area under his lordship or not. But will you today and ongoingly allow him into that area? See, actually, when the king brings his rule and his authority into that area of your pain, healing comes and restoration comes. Into that area of brokenness, he makes us whole. That's practically where the rubber meets the road in becoming more like Jesus. It's not the, the yeah, yeah, amen, Sunday morning. That's part of it. But that's the outworking of a heart being restored, of a life being set free, of saying, actually, I'm going to be honest with some people. I'm going to, I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to say, Jesus, this, uh, there's hurt in my life. There's disappointment in my life. There's brokenness. There's, there's pain. And I trust you to come into that area. First Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. The Bible says to glorify him in your bodies. I trust and believe that he wants you to be free so you can glorify him. That he wants you to be whole so that you can glorify him. That he wants to, you, you to be healed so that you can glorify him. And if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, let him into that area. If you're feeling uncomfortable right now, it's because he wants to set you free. It's not just our actions or our decisions that are external. It's the internal things. It's our very identity. It's the things that define us. I bring my sexuality under his rule and his reign, under his kingship. I bring my identity, the way I see myself, under his rule and reign. I actually have to be transformed in the way I see myself to the way I see myself is the way he sees me. I bring my relationships under his rule and his reign. Proverbs says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Paraphrasing, but it basically says, show me the people around you, and I'll show you what your future looks like. So often, the people that we surround ourselves with shape and define our identity, or our values, or our sexuality, or our belief, rather than the king. But the king wants to be the one who defines every area of your life. I was listening to a lady on the radio today who was talking about addiction. She'd been a 29-year heroin addict, but had been two years um, sober. And, and this wasn't in a church context at all. It just was about addiction. Um, and they said, well, how, yeah, how did you get sober? How did you get clean? She said, I had to change my environment. She said, I didn't, I didn't want to be on heroin after the first couple of years. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but every time I went back to those people, it was there, and I did it again. She actually had to change her situation, change the people around her, move. And she goes, I've been two years clean and sober. God wants you to be free. And maybe it's from addiction. Maybe it's from a different sort of addiction. Maybe it's from, from something else. Maybe there's a brokenness. And sometimes you've got to be removed from some situations that keep taking you down the same paths again. 
What does it look like to bring my thoughts under the rule and reign of Jesus? Let me give you a couple of practical examples, and then we're going to finish this morning. What does it look like? I have a thought that comes in. I'm like, oh, that's not Jesus. Firstly, you have to recognize the thought's not from him. You can't take anything captive. You can't bring it under his rule and reign if you don't recognize that it's not from him. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there's a renewing of our minds that needs to take place, yeah? So we take that thought captive. If a thought comes that is contrary to the word of God, it's contrary to what God says about me, it's contrary to that which is pure and noble and holy, you know, it's a, it's a bad thought. It's a, it's a broken thought. It's like, you know, the, the thought's telling you that you're worthless. thought's telling you that you can't do it. It's a thought about something that is unholy. I go, you shouldn't be there. I take you captive in Jesus' name. I cast it out. I declare the 2 Corinthians 2.26. I have the mind of Christ. My mind's being renewed. I have the mind of Christ. I don't need to think about this. I don't need to, I'm taking you captive right now, and I'm placing my thoughts on the things of Christ. Then here's the deal, though. You don't just say empty. Replace it with the truth. If, you, if, you, if all you're doing is trying to think about the thought you shouldn't think about, you're going to keep thinking about the same thing. I mean, does that make sense? You kind of heard the thing of like, you know, I'm not going to think about pink elephants. I'm not going to think about pink elephants. I'm not going to, and what are you thinking about? You're meditating on the very thing that you don't want to think about. Replace that thing, that thought, with truth. Example, for example, if the thought is you are worthless, recognize that this thought is not the truth from the Lord because the Lord doesn't see you as worthless. I take it captive. I say, get out in Jesus' name. Then I declare the truth. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a child of God. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. He, he gives me value. I am valuable because of him. Suddenly the thing is shifted. You take that thought captive, you cast that, you place it with truth. That's what it looks like to bring your thoughts under the kingship of Jesus, the rule and reign of the king. What does it look like to bring my identity under his rule and reign? It means that I am who he says I am. Not who I say I am or who the world says I am. I'm not who my friends say I am. One of the hardest things about growing up is that you go to school and you do things. And those things def can define you in the eyes of all your friends. Usually it's the dumb thing that you did. The one party that you made a bad choice at. The, th the time that you said something that you shouldn't have said. It, like, we like to define people by their mistakes. I'm not who my friends say I am. I'm who Jesus says that I am. Even if that's all that they can remember, it doesn't matter. Because that's not who I am. I'm not defined by the relationship that I had. I'm not defined by the sin that I was living in. Defined by who he is. It means that my identity as a son of the living God is the main thing that defines who I am. So I say, God, I bring my identity unto you. I thank you that I have a new identity in Christ. I have a new lineage. I'm part of the lineage of faith. I'm a son of faith. I'm a son of the living God. Even though I have a, a father and mother, and I have a history, and I have a past, and I've done things, and my friends might look at me and go, you're that guy who did that thing. 
I can say, no, 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 my identity is defined by who you are and the way you see me and what you call me to. I'm his workmanship. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works. I have a mission. I live with a purpose. He's called me to go make disciples. He's called me to reach the lost. He's called me to minister to him. He's called me to be a worshiper. I'm not defined by the brokenness. I'm not defined by the stupid, dumb stuff that I've done in the past. I'm defined by who you are, and I want to spend my life on that purpose, in worship of you, becoming more like you, showing people who you are. My very identity is transformed when I bring it under his kingship, his rule and reign over my identity, his rule and reign over my sexuality, his rule and reign over my thought life, his rule and reign over my actions. See, when we get the heart stuff right, the actions follow. We're not just trying to pick the fruit off the tree. Somebody said this morning, God wants to take the ax to the root of the tree. Get the heart stuff right. The actions will follow. Don't just pick the fruit. Don't just kind of go, I'm just going to change the external. If you're not willing to deal with the heart, you're just going to go around the same mountain again and again and again. If you're not willing to get to the root issues of your marriage, you're going to go around the same mountain again. If you're not willing to get to the root issues of your brokenness and allow his kingship to come into that area, you're going to keep breaking others. You're going to keep living in that place. But he wants to set you free. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. They devoted themselves to the things that caused them to grow. And as we see Jesus and as we see him as the king, it demands a response. That we say, not just, I want to follow you and that's just, it's cool for Sunday morning. It's actually, would your kingship come into every area of my life and who I am? Would I be totally redefined? By who you are. Someone said, said recently, they weren't going to keep coming to Melbourne Lights Church because we are a church that you can just come and sit in. You have to get involved. There's an expectation of growth and change. And I, I was sad that they weren't willing to grow and change and get involved. But I thought that, comp that, that, that comment was such a compliment. Because that's actually who we want to be. I don't want us to be a church, a gathering of believers, where it's comfortable to just stay in our brokenness, to stay in our sin, to stay in our, our junk and our stuff, and just stay the same. I don't want you to waste your life staying the same. I want us to be a people who call each other up to more, who say, we can become like Jesus, we are becoming like Jesus, come with me as I become like Jesus, and become like him yourself. It's exactly the church I want us to be. If you don't want to grow, can I say lovingly and respectfully, this isn't the church for you. If you don't want to become more like Jesus and live on his mission, this isn't the church for you. There's lots of great other churches. Go find one of them. But this church is going to become like Jesus. We're going to grow. We're living on mission. And as we do that, he transforms us. To be honest, I'm not sure how you can actually follow Jesus and not actively participate in bringing his rule and reign into every area of your life. But that's a whole different preach for a different day. I'm going to finish with this point. Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir one another. 
one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The reason we don't encourage one another, the reason we don't gather together is not because we're busy. It's because we haven't seen the king. The reason we don't give, the reason we don't serve, the reason we don't participate in mission, it's not because there's just other stuff. It's because we haven't seen the king. And there's this individual devotion to growth that we're all called to, bringing all the areas of my life under his kingship. But then there's also this call together to stir one another up to come alongside, to encourage one another, to help each other respond to his kingship. Not control, not like, like oh, you know, I, like, I see this brokenness in you. and like No, but in love, saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. When we do this individually and together, we bring the areas of our life under the kingship of Jesus. We allow the king to come in into the wrestle and into the pain. We become more like him. I become more like him, but we also become more like him. We are being set apart for his glory. I always, when I'm preparing to preach, like to preach for a response. Because I think, what's the point of just giving you information? When the Lord speaks to us, we want to respond to him. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. And then I'm going to hand it back to Paul and he can, uh, he can pray for us. What area do you need a revelation of Jesus' kingship in? What area of your life? Maybe it's your identity, maybe it's your thought life, maybe it's your sexuality, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your values, your time, your finances, your struggles, your pain. What area do you need a revelation of the kingship of Jesus? Do you need to bring under his rule and reign this morning? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.